The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Lloyd, today our show is about incredible forgiveness. We are going to be speaking with a wonderful woman who wrote the book, The Long Walk, and she wrote about her experiences as a Holocaust victim, although she wrote it as a novel about a young girl. It's a wonderful book that I have right in front of me with this beautiful face in front of me. And this is about how this woman, this young woman, um, became a woman through having to survive the Holocaust. So let me tell you about this amazing woman who I read about. Actually, I read about her in the Orange County Register that she goes into schools, and I know that she went into Lathrop Intermediate in Santa Ana to talk about how she survived a Nazi concentration camp and what she went through and how she forgave and how she doesn't carry that that anger and that resentment that could easily be carried by someone who doesn't have the the fortitude that she has. So let me tell you a little bit about Ruth Treason. She was born in Warsaw, Poland in 1930. And soon after the start of the war started in 1939, her family moved to Krakow where they masqueraded as Christians so that they could avoid the Nazi persecution of the Jews. But just a couple of years later, the Germans did find them. And first her father was arrested and then her mother. Ruth and her sister remained hidden at a convent for a few months longer, but then the Gestapo found them there. They tore her sister from her arms and shoved Ruth into a cattle car bound for Auschwitz. But she survived, and in 1945, at the end of the war, she she began her own long walk hoping to find her family and home. Then in 1947, she immigrated to the United States, and she later married her husband, a wonderful man, and they created a family. And while nurturing her three sons, she enrolled in college, she received her degrees, went on to teach and write, has an incredible background. And then she wrote the book, The Long Walk. Um, in It was published in March of 2010, and it's called The Long Walk by Ruth Treason. And since writing her book, she realized that she can help at-risk youngsters 
in schools, group homes, and foster homes. So not only did she write this wonderful book about a young woman, and she kind of goes back in time to be this young woman, she shares her story of this young girl living under the Nazi regime during World War II. And she really explores what it means to have a sense of self. And she endured incredible hate, hostility, and, and pain. And through the conversations, she and students come to realize the, similar, so the similarities of youngsters who are living currently um, in similar situations at their age. And so it's a wonderful thing that she's been sharing with these kids, going back and explaining what it was like to be a, a teenager in the uh, Nazi regime and living under the terrible time of the Holocaust. So I am so thrilled that Ruth said that she could join us today. So Ruth, thank you so much for joining us. Well, I'm happy to be here and talk with you about this. This was this book is just it touches my heart and it's written so beautifully. I mean, I the visual images, I can just see it in my mind's eye as I read this book. Now, you call this book a novel, but how much of it is fiction and how much of it is true? Uh, that's a good question because uh, the events of, about which I have written happened full 50 years or more ago. And I have lived a lifetime since those early years of my childhood when I was uh, the invited guest at a concentration camp ran by the Nazis. Uh, I sound a little ironic about it, but it was... Uh, it was the kind of a place which strips you of everything. Mm. And most of all, it is engineered to strip you of your humanity, yes. of your sense of who you are, of your sense of self-worth, of your sense of faith in your uh, other people. You become... It's very difficult to survive as a human being under those circumstances. And the only reason that I was able to keep myself from total deterioration was my imagination. I imagined that I was not there. Yes. I imagined myself back home. And that was what saved me. Yes. I, I, was, I always had imagination. I always imagined stories and told them. And, but this was different. This was a life-preserving activity. I took myself away from the worst of it and remembered my home and my grandmother, my dear, dear Bobby and my Zayde and my mother and my father and my little sister, Haya, whom I loved. 
that whole sense of belonging with the family that people take for granted in that hellish hall of a place, I escaped from right into that place that most people take for granted. And I started to savor, using my senses, the taste of cocoa, the smell of it, the the food that we ate, the, the potato pancakes, Bobby's children's, all of the things that we did on a regular basis without much thought, it became center of my life. And I was happy in that place, in that little corner of me that was the past. And that's how, that's how I kept strong. So I noticed in the book you are in the, this terrible situation, and then all of a sudden you have in italics what you remember about the food your bubby made and the fun that you would have with your sister. So you went in and out of this situation. But in the book itself, it, is it, it's more of a, a biography, really, even though you call it a novel. Am I correct? Yes, and and you want to know how much of this is true. Yes. All the recollections that I, the flashbacks, you know, the book is written in as a narrative that begins on the first day after the war. Yes. And the walk to find a life again. Yes. The walk towards looking for a family and uh not finding my mother, father, everyone there. All of that is perfectly, absolutely true. What is not true, what is fiction, is uh, some of the characters that I created. Uh, for example, there is a character of an old, old Polish woman who lives on a farm, and who I go to because I think of her as a wise old woman, and I'm very troubled at that point. My mother and my father were both gone. We were living that summer at a, a convent of the Ursulines, and this old woman lived close by. But I created her. She she wasn't there. It was someone I created in my head and someone I talked to, trying to figure out where we are, what's happening, what could have happened to my parents and going back and forth in this fashion. Uh, so even though my thoughts are true, the character is a, is a vehicle for those thoughts to be heard and and understood. Right. So when you were so And this is true of some other characters. I wondered about Yeah, I wondered about the girl that you met that uh you were in the barn and then can you hear me? Yes. Well, you know that those people are real. Oh. Anyone that really comes through more real than not is real. Those were the survivors that, like me, were trying to find a place. Yes. There was this place 
persons. They were trying to find a place where they belong. And it was a process, and it took a while. For me, it took probably three or four years, two years to get to the United States, another two years to get married, another several years to acclimate myself and to discover that, yes, I was now a mother and a wife. I had a little boy, and we were a family. I had found the place where I belonged. Yes. It took many years. So what kinds, of what kinds of qualities or strengths did your parents instill in you that you think all children should have as a foundation? I mean, you were able to overcome such horrible things. Do you think it was due to your parents? Uh, for me, I think, I suspect, I cannot give you a definite answer, but I suspect it was my home before the war and my family. They, there was so much love. Probably if I needed to use one word, that would be it, love. Acceptance without judgment. Such embracing environments. It was wonderful. Every one of these people that was my family is as alive to me now as they were then. I remember what they used to say. For example, I remember my grandfather, who was a very religious man. And every morning, he would don his shawl of white and black stripes, and he would put on the religious box which contained the rules by which Jews are to live, rules they believe come from God. And he would pray to God. And to my childish mind, it looked like he was having a conversation with God. He did go forth and back and shook a little bit as he talked to God, spoke in a language I did not understand. I figured that was God's language. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I didn't understand it. Mm. Uh, and, and after he finished with his morning prayers, He'd sit down in a chair. He'd put me on. He slept, hug me, and say, Rutler? That was the way he pronounced my name. It was Ruth, but this is diminutive. And he would hold me and he would say, I want you to know something. I want you to know that you can do Something a little bit good any time there is a need. And I want you to do something a little bit good every time there is a need. Because if you do that, the world will be a little bit better for it. Mm. Now, friend. Frankly, that is not something I'm likely to forget. Right. 
And this is something that gave me the power, the strength to dismiss, not to entangle myself in the machination of evil, in the machination of stripping everyone. It wasn't only uh, physical, this, uh, this uh, uh, discomfort. It wasn't only that. It was much more. It was an emotional discomfort. It was a discomfort of the soul, a sense of being ripped apart and torn down and told that you were nothing more than a bug that crawls on the ground and worthy only of being stamped out. That kind of thing has a very debilitating effect on the human person. It takes humanity away. And so it was my grandfather's telling me, do a little bit of good. Well, I couldn't do any good to anybody else, so I did the good for myself. I needed a little bit of good, and I took myself out of that place, and I imagined being home with granddad and grandma and my family intact, all of us together. That is, that is what kept me strong. Their love oh, that I, I remembered and knew was mine. That, that love you took with you. It must have been terrifying as a little girl of nine years old to be frightened by the Nazi occupation. So what, what was the scariest part or the most disturbing part? I don't know what the scary was. I was scared most of the time, (laughs) especially after my parents were gone. Uh, But I think that when I was very young, right at the beginning, I was nine years old, and when the Germans first came in to to, uh, Warsaw, uh, I, I had... I had, uh, my grandfather told me something about the Star of David. One of the things he told me about it was that it was David's shield. He told me the story of David and how he fought Goliath and how the Star of David was the protection for David, David being the king of all the Jews and fighting for their survival. Now, when the Germans came in, the first demand was that every child, man and woman, were to wear a yellow star. I don't know whether you're familiar with it. Right, right. But it it was a star of David. Right. But it was colored yellow. another demeaning way of, of treating human beings. And this was worn by everyone in public. And uh, I 
saw that my parents were very disturbed by having to wear it. My mother cried when she sewed it on my jacket. And I didn't know why she was doing that because grandma said, grandpa said it was a protection. Right. A, a protection from God. So why were they so unhappy about it? And only much, much later, when I was fully adult and started thinking about this, I realized that it was the epic of, of corruption. It was the worst kind of corruption you could do. It, it was to take a star, a shield, a protection, a gift of God, and turn it into a mark mm. of, of mark for destruction, mark for derision, marked for despair. That's how they used it. Mm. And, and, and I think of all the horrible things that one example of such corruption of goodness such destruction of goodness was, it will always stay with me. This confusion of a child and the coming to understand the meaning of this, this symbol that was meant to be good and wonderful and perfect as just the opposite. Mm. We are speaking with Ruth Treason, who is the author of The Long Walk, and it is a wonderful book about a girl that has to deny her identity just to survive, and then she becomes a woman, and she had to create everything on her own, and she used her wonderful, um, fantastic fantasy world to be able to survive. Ruth, let me ask you, how do you think that human beings could become so heartless as the Nazis did become? I, that, that is probably going to remain a mystery to me. Uh, there are many ways to explain it. Some people call it pure evil. Uh, I, I really think that it is a kind of a horrid madness. The thing that makes it even more difficult to understand was that this, this nation of German people was a nation of educated, accomplished, capable people, a nation of, they were not savages. They were far from savages. They were, they produced great artists, Beethoven, Gates, great writers. How could such a nation allow itself to become a tool of great, great tragedy that that descended upon the world for six years. For that matter, how does it happen 
that people turn against one another much more often than they turn towards each other. Is there an answer? I don't have it. I don't have it. Yes, and I know that you saw so much death and destruction and atrocities and I know that from from just reading your book and knowing the articles about you that that you don't that you were able to forgive and you're able to move on and not try and get revenge and hate could you explain to my audience how you can do that I think the best way to answer you that is by answering what I told some students who asked me, uh, what would I do if I had one of the German guards that treated us so badly in front of me, right here and right now? And I said, nothing. And he said, wait, I mean, if no one stopped you, you could do anything you wanted to him. What would you do to him? What would you do to get even? And I said to him, well, if I were to get even with this person, I would have to do, and I actually went quite graphic on what I would have to do to him which I don't want to, you know, people know what horrible things people can do to other people. Yes. And I said, but I wouldn't want to do it because if I did, if I beat him, if I starved him, if I took his children away, threw them in the air and shot them, I would become like him. Yes. And I would not want to become like him. I wish no one ever would become like that. And I certainly won't. Yes. And so when you, you know, when you taught your own children about love, you, I would imagine you remembered the love from your grandparents and your parents and, um, did you tell I did you tell your kids helped. did you tell your sons about what you went through before you wrote this book? Um I I must tell you that those experiences were so very painful and and destructive that to protect myself I refused to think and remember a lot of it for more, much of my life. I was moving forward. I didn't want to look back. But I told it to them when I wrote the book. Yes. And I told it to them when I was ready, when enough time went by that I could return. And one of the things I realized, I owe to myself to my children, and to my dad family. I owe this recognition and remembrance. I have no right to forget these people. 
they were they were my folk. They were my home. They were my, my roots. How can I forget them? Yes. And so I sat down and I started writing the book. And, it's and I started writing by remembering their faces and recalling all that they did and said and the feelings. that. And it was all doing it almost the same as when I was in the concentration camp. But now it was not out of fear, but out of love and acceptance. And that, I wanted to bring yeah. my family back to life and to honor them. Well, you did a wonderful job, and we are out of time. Ruth Treason, thank you for writing the book, The Long Walk, and people can look on Amazon.com and find it. And thank you so much for your book and your love and your forgiveness and all the good things you're doing in the world. So we will talk to you again soon. Thank you so much, Ruth. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. for Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. Visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.